actually have the personal IP of a migrant, but I have a professional IP of technology. Hi, it's Holly Ransom here. Welcome one and all to Coffee Pods, Fuel Your Difference, a podcast for the change makers and the game changers. This podcast is built around a simple hypothesis. How long does it take to learn from someone's lifetime of experience? Coffee. So in the time it takes us to share a cup of coffee with our guests or for you to enjoy one as you listen along, we're going to tap into the lifetime of experience of some truly remarkable people who've driven significant change. I'm a big believer that success leaves clues. And be it putting an audacious idea into action, shifting a team culture, or even a country's for that matter, or using their influence to drive progress, all our guests have powerful insights, pragmatic tips, and passionate calls to action that can help each of us to fuel the positive difference we're all working to create in our lives, organisations, and communities. Coffee Potters, we're taking a social enterprise turn this week, and our guest is Rinku Rasden. Now, Rinku is quite a remarkable woman. She arrived in Australia with very few dollars next to her name and as a single mother, but with a burning passion to make sure that her son had a world of opportunity before him. She's risen up the ranks of the Australian banking sector, become a very successful technology consultant, and has recently launched Connections Australia, which is a mobile application designed to connect migrants into logistic information that can help them successfully transition to life in Australia, connect them to community and help them really feel a sense of belonging and inclusion, and significantly provide them with access to work Rinku's got a really remarkable personal story and she's a great example of a social change maker who's chosen to use their own experience to create and design a solution that can add value to an enormous number of people in society. Hope you really enjoy the conversation. Here's Rinku. Let's jump in. Well, Rinku, I'm so thrilled to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for making the time to join us here at Coffee Pods. My pleasure. I wanted to talk to you about where the whole vision began for your your business, your social enterprise, what you're doing at Connections Australia. Tell us about uh, the experience that you've had that led you to, to be motivated and so passionate about wanting to create opportunity for migrant Australians. I'm of um, complete belief, Holly, that startups are quite difficult and social startups are even more difficult. And unless you're absolutely passionate about something, you, you need to think twice whether it is something that you want to do or not. And so so my, my story is personal. The reason I'm doing Connections Australia is because it is personal to me. But because it is personal to me, it is the fuel that drives Connections Australia. It is that fire in my belly that pushes Connections Australia and drives me to push it hard. And so, so, you know, a little bit about my background. So I restarted my life in Australia uh, probably about 15 years ago. And, you know, I, I I basically started with $20 in my hand and a three year old child. And I was lucky because I actually had a job. But, you know, between rent and daycare and, you know, and I don't have any other family here. It was just me and my son. My books were running negative all the time. So I knew I had to do something different. So, uh, you know, I basically started by trying to get multiple jobs, shift works, all those sort of things. And I think there's multiple reasons I didn't get it. One of the main thing that stayed with me was I could only work when I could work, like when my son was in the daycare or when someone was looking after my son. Those are the only times that I could actually work. I couldn't work when the employers wanted me to work. So if someone says, you know, come on Saturday morning between 8 to 12 or something like that and we'll give you shift work, 
that just didn't suit me because I didn't have anyone to look after my son on Saturday morning. So it stayed with me. And I always thought about this. I thought if only they could understand, I could work the times that I could work according to my availability, what a great worker I would be and how much more benefit I would drive to them. So I'm quite blessed that I took the right decisions in my life. And, you know, 13 years later, I turned my life around. I became a successful management consultant, worked with some significantly large clients. I specialize in digital transformation, data analytics, those sort of things, which is sort of where the technology is heading. So, you know, I consider myself to be quite lucky because I actually have the personal IP of a migrant, but I have a professional IP of technology. And that's how Connections was born. I basically combined the two together and decided to do something so other people don't have to struggle the way I struggled for the first uh, 13 years of my life. I think that's awesome. For me, there's a whole lot of questions I have there around, you know, you've mentioned in one of your Connections Australia videos that you arrived in Australia as a single mom with language barriers. And you touch on there about really finding yourself on your feet as a really successful management consultant specializing in in technology. Talk to us about the journey there, because I can't imagine uh, that was easy by any stretch of the imagination. How did you go about the learning journey and getting your, your career up and running to the degree that you have done? Holly, it's, uh, it's always a journey and you can never do it alone. One thing I'm very appreciative about is people. I always put people over anything else in my life. And if not for the right people in my life, my, my life could have taken a completely different turn. You know, I basically started in a call center and I worked in a call center. But what I always had in my mind was I knew that I was not the smartest person on the floor. But what I always wanted to do was to be the best at the job that was given to me. It didn't matter what the job was, whether that was making calls or whether that was checking processes or whether that was reading files. I always took that seriously and always tried to do my best to the person who had given me accountability for that task. I think that's a great lesson for anyone to have because it really takes you a long way when you try to do the right thing by people. You know, I started in insurance and then for a long time I was in insurance took a risk, took a different career, sort of for a while, worked into managing complaints and disputes. And a lot of people would go, wow, you know, managing complaints and disputes and that too for a bank, you know, how (laughs) could that be a great job? (laughs) Slave for punishment, most people would say. Yeah, absolutely. But I actually took it as an opportunity And to be honest, I learned a lot from that. All my uh, people skill, my negotiation skills, all that sort of skills, I actually learned from there. I realized to uh, manage a person's emotion, you have to have your emotions in check and really try and listen to what they are trying to say if they are issuing a complaint to you. So I actually learned a lot from that job. Eventually, I um, took a risk and moved into technology. And and I have my then boss to thank, who I had a long chat with and, you know, basically just said, I said, I want to do something different. My heart belongs in technology. And and he put me on, on a project, on a technology project within the same bank. And in his own words, he said, you took to it like a duck to the water. And I just knew. I I knew I had found what excites me. I knew I had found what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Talk to us about that that moment then where you decide to pull the trigger and and jump into your own thing and start up Connections Australia. That, That entrepreneurial fire, had that been burning in you for some time? I think it had been. 
at the moment when I jumped into technology, I didn't really jump into Connections Australia. I was actually uh, driving uh, technology projects and transformation projects for the bank that I was working with at the time. And, and then later from there, I became a management consultant and then decided to launch Connections Australia. But you are right, Holly, like it was something that was deep within me, but I was always driven by one thing in my life, which was to make my son's future financially secure. Because I knew that besides me, he just doesn't have any other fallback. So I always had to live with this feeling that, you know, if I pop off and something happens to me, that's it. There's no one else. Um, so so I always had that in my at the back of my mind. So my whole aim for the first 13 years was to make my son's financial future secure, if not anything else. And I'm really, really proud to to see what a young, wonderful gentleman he has turned into. So, you know, he's now 18 years old. Two years ago, I basically said to him, I said, we are, we are, we are in a good situation. You know, we are comfortable. We are living comfortable now. You know, you are a wonderful young man. And, and I want to do something that makes me happy, which is helping people. So that's when I first sat him down and had a chat with him. And I said, I want to do this. This is my idea. It is going to be really, really difficult. But I do want to do this because my heart belongs to this. And he just looked at me and he said, Mom, you go for it. So I, when I started with Connections Australia, to be honest, Holly, I basically just knew I wanted to do something in the migrant space. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I know there are people who struggle. I know so many migrants, you know, this this problem here. But I didn't really know what it was. So I basically held first brainstorming session at my place. And I'm lucky I've got a lot of multicultural friends. So all of them turned up. And, you know, I started asking, oh, what are some of the problems that you experienced? Tell, tell me about your experiences in this country. One is, as a migrant, you suffer from strong social isolation. And social isolation by way of, you know, trying to adopt a country that is new to you, whether that's by way of an adoption of a language or a culture or demographic or or multiple lenses to it, but it is um, a social isolation issue. And then the second they were talking about was underemployment, not necessarily unemployment, but underemployment. This is a case of where, you know, I've come to Australia, I'm, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and all excited about my future, and I apply for a job and I get rejected. And I think that's the right job for me because I've got the skills for it, but I get rejected. And if you look at the stats in that space, they are unbelievable. You know, like over 70% people who are of migrant background have come to this country, they get rejected in their first job. For multiple reasons, you know, it could be lack of local experience, it could be lack of networking, conscious and conscious bias plays a part in that as well, all sorts of things. But it is an appalling number. And then I started doing a bit of market research. I actually started reaching out to various communities. And basically all over the weekend, all I did is went to various communities, ate their wonderful food and just talked to people. You know, I went and met uh, Vietnamese community, I met Filipino community, I met Chinese, I met Indian, I met Lebanese, I met South African, uh, I met English, Irish, various communities. No matter how many times I was talking to people, and I did this over five to six months where every weekend I would just find either uh, a festival that was happening or a pub which was more oriented towards a certain demographic. You know, I sort of infiltrated all these places and just started talking to people. And again, I realized that no matter what people were telling me, the problem were too, social isolation and underemployment. That's what migrants most suffer from. 
it became clear to me that the problem that I'm dealing with is not related to one particular community. It is widespread. Uh, no matter what country you come from, you suffer from these two issues. Um, it's just various degrees of it that you suffer from. So I realized it's a volume-driven problem. And if it's a volume-driven problem, the solution has to be technology-driven because only technology provides you with acceleration of a solution. I love that. And I wanted to ask you, you know, one of the things I'm really passionate about is diversity and inclusion in the technology space because I think we have a real problem around the perpetuation of the bias that you just talked about by virtue of the fact that we tend to have one type of person, one gender, uh, often one cultural background, doing a majority of the design of a lot of the technology we're now using. How important is it that we're, we're getting people from diverse backgrounds involved in the technology sphere and in designing the sorts of solutions that you're talking about? Extremely important, Holly. Extremely. You know, we talk about gender balance and we talk about equal opportunity. I'm not just going to say equal employment opportunity. I'm going to say equal opportunity. But, you know, you look at the senior level management structure and and you see there's a gap between what we are saying and what we are acting upon. Someone needs to do something about it. And you look at the diversity stats, they're quite not there where we need to hit it. And I find that amazing because I think Australia as a country is a very welcoming country. I mean, I Australia is home for me. I, I may be of Indian background, but I call Australia my home. So, you know, if we are accepting or we are trying to accept people of different nationalities, of different races, of different background, why don't we start by gender equality in at workplace? Again, you look at an interesting stats, if someone wants to have a look at is look at the HSC stats. So when the teenagers give their HSC, you will see that the girls always outperform, or at least for the last few years, have been outperforming guys. So if that's the case, that the girls are outperforming guys in HSC results, then why is it that when you have senior director or senior management positions, girls are not outperforming there? Where are we going wrong? And I think as a nation, we need to think about it. One of the core objectives for Connections Australia is to drive inclusion. The the call to action for everyone is drive an inclusive Australia. It doesn't matter what is the background of a person. It doesn't matter what is the gender preference of a person. You can find job. You can connect to a community through this platform. I love that. From your own experience as a female entrepreneur and, and as well as someone from migrant background, a lot of the statistics we'll read, again, speaking to your point around diversity and inclusion, is that it's, it's typically extra difficult from founders that are female and founders that are from a culturally diverse background. Have you had that experience, uh, you know, in, on the journey that you've been on both to get Collections Australia up and running but also to, to gather momentum since it's been established? Yeah, on many occasions. Before I'll talk before Connections Australia when I was um, sort of in senior leadership positions. The number of times I've heard comments like, and particularly with my name, because Rinku comes across, you can't tell the gender by the, by my name. Uh, so a lot of people just assume because they were going to speak to someone in a senior leadership position, Rinku is a male name. <sighs> <laughs> oh dear. And the number of times they would get on the phone and say to me, oh, you're not a guy. I'm like, well, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely experienced that when I was in leadership positions. 
And even now, uh, I do experience that. Like when I go to networking events or I go to quite a lot of uh, startup or tech entrepreneur events, uh, it is heavily dominated by males. And you see that. I mean, I'm pretty good at just sort of going up to people and talking to them. I have almost nil ego. So I just go up and talk to people. But you see that there's clusters where all the guys are together and, you know, they are doing their tech talk and, you know, they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, we can do this, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, I sort of just go in there and start talking to them and you can see their face. And the number of times I've heard comments like, oh, she's a techie. (laughs) And, And I find that very, very interesting because I think whether consciously or unconsciously, those stereotypes, they still exist at various levels. Absolutely. On your point earlier around uh, sort of that important part around the role each and every one of us have to play in driving inclusion, I'd love to get your perspective because I think, you know, a lot of people hear the conversation going about migrants and refugees to this country, but they probably fail to appreciate some of the challenges and and in many ways the the simple day-to-day ways each and every one of us can play a role in making that journey and experience easier, more inclusive, more welcoming Uh, for people that are new arrivals to our country. What advice would you offer about what some of those simple steps that can make an enormous difference can look like? Just on a very, very simple day-to-day basis level, I would say, you know, uh, someone apologised to me the other day and they were of a different background and they were trying to speak to me in English and it was taking them a long time to explain things to me. And they apologized to me for that. And my response to them was, the day my Chinese is as good as your English is, we are on level par. So I think I think we need to keep that into perspective. I think on a day-to-day basis, people need to realize that no one wants to leave their family and friends behind to, to go to a new country. Most of the people like that comfort of having your family, your friend, your infrastructure, your support network around you. So be appreciative if someone has left all of that behind in trying to adopt a new country home. And be mindful of that when you're talking, when you see a migrant or a refugee or someone of an international background. The second thing I would say is just be patient with people when they are speaking or trying to speak English. Don't just write them off because they have not been able to explain themselves to yourself. Be appreciative that they have attempted to explain something to you despite not being fluent in that language. They have the courage to try. And the third thing I would say is there are lots of nuances that we don't know in a new country. And I'll give you an example. And I actually openly wrote about this in an article in LinkedIn. People label migrants and refugees dumbs because we don't know certain things about this country. So in my example, I was walking down the street. This is many years ago. I was walking down the street and I saw a couple of people going to a wall, getting some money and then coming back. I had never seen an ATM in my entire life, Holly. I didn't know what was an ATM. Okay, I had never been exposed to an ATM in my life. So I just thought the money was coming out of the wall. I thought, wow, Fair enough. what a lucky country. No wonder they call Australia a lucky country. The money <laughs> out of the wall. I love that. So I basically whole night worked out, how am I going to break this wall? And how am I going to get the money? And, you know, where am I going to get the forklift from? So that whole thing. Now, that all sounds really dumb, okay? But when you don't know, you don't know. I had never seen an ATM, so I don't know. Now, 10 years later, 
I deployed all the three and a half thousand ATMs for a very big bank. And I basically knew pretty much everything there was to know about deployment of those ATMs at that point of time. Now, you know, if you think about my journey in 10 years, what changed? The only thing that changed is I knew more about this country. That's about it. So I would say that just because we don't know something, don't label us dumb. Just come around and help us and tell us something about it. You know, if you don't know about swimming in between the flags, tell us. If you don't know what blue bottles are, tell us. All those sort of small things, be mindful of that. I I love that. And I think that's an incredible um, circular narrative that you had going from that first experience encountering what you didn't even then know to be an ATM to then being in charge of three and a half thousand of them is quite extraordinary. That's amazing. Thank you. You touched on when you, you said that this piece around nobody really willingly gives up their, their connection, their infrastructure, their family. It is a really tough experience. And you're someone that strikes me as being really optimistic and upbeat. I can imagine that over the journey, you've had some really challenging moments. What's, um, talk to us about resilience from your standpoint. What has what, what that developed in you in terms of your, your, your toughness and your capability to get through those difficult times? I think it's important, Holly, to one, understand that if you're going to do something on your own, it is going to be a tough road. So one is just accept it. For example, what I'm doing with Connections Australia, I know it's going to be a tough road, okay? Does that mean that I give up? No. What I do is I keep going. It's important that you have goals in life. When I was absolutely dirt poor, the one thing that I had was I set up small goals for myself. And, you know, initially those goals were as small as I want to buy a winter jacket for my son, you know, by the time the winter comes in, I want to make sure that I have a winter jacket for my son. The next year, the goal became, uh, I want to make sure that I can at least take away my son for one weekend to somewhere, to Taronga Zoo or something like that. So what I did all my life was basically set the goals for myself. And as I achieved those goals, they they became bigger and, you know, more complex. And some of my friends, they always tell me, uh, there's something wrong with you, Binku. You're constantly setting goals for yourself. When will you stop it? And, and my response is probably never. Uh, because if I stop setting goals for myself, I will stop learning. That's the only way I can learn. Everything that I'm doing with Connections Australia, I don't really have anyone teaching me stuff, but you fall, you brush yourself up and you start again. That's what you do. Yeah, I love that. You make that sound so simple and straightforward, but I think that's often what you need to be able to break it down to mentally in those moments to be able to find a way through. Correct. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I was I, I was quite lucky that, um, you know, I always had my son. So my shining star was always my son. I, I always had to look at my son and say, I've got to find courage to basically get up and do something. And that's not to say that, Holly, I haven't been through some exceptionally tough times. I have. And I've been through some really, really dark days in my life. And, you know, uh, we're to the point where I thought, that's it. This is it. I will not be able to come out of this one. Like one of the stories that I would love to share with the listeners is there was a particular period in my life where nothing was going right. Everything went wrong, whether that was professionally or whether that was personally, health-wise, everything went wrong in my life. So, you know, I went to that dark corner, completely dark corner. And uh, I was actually at that point of time diagnosed with depression. Now, I had a couple of choices. I could have either continued spiraling down or uh, what I did was I I told myself, I said, I must do something that I think I cannot do. 
I must challenge myself and do something that I cannot do. And I did. I was quite overweight uh, because of the mental condition I was in. I had uh, probably not exercised for months, if not over a year. And I was just not in good health. But I joined a charity group called Hike for Hunger. And along with them, I hiked for nine days from Canberra to the top of Mount Kosciuszko. And I climbed it. And no one thought that I would do that. Not a single person on day one when I reached the meeting point thought that I would do it. But I did because I think I was mentally stronger than most people in that group. That's amazing way to respond to a really challenging moment, you know, in that dark place to say, the way I'm going to get myself out here is through proving to myself I can do something I don't believe is possible. I think that shows such incredible grit. Thank you. And you've mentioned your son a couple of times. You've obviously got a remarkably close and special relationship. I'd love to know what's the the key, If you, you know, I've no doubt over the years you've imparted many bits of advice to him, but what what is the key bit of advice that you've tried to ensure he's grown up having top of mind? There are a couple of things that uh, we, we call them our, uh, <laughs> we actually call them our values. So we say these are our values. We don't compromise on our values no matter what. One of the key values that I have taught him is it's always people before anything else. You always have to treat people with respect, with integrity, and it doesn't matter where in under what circumstances you meet them, you treat them same. Whether it is your boss or whether it's someone working for you, you treat them same because they all add some value in your life. So that's value number one. Value number two is you always be yourself. It doesn't matter what situation you are in, you are yourself. Because unless you're yourself and you are confident in who you are, the world can be a very difficult place for you to navigate through. So be confident in you, who you are. The third value, there is absolutely no doubt that my son is a quintessential Aussie, <laughs> but he also has a high degree of understanding of other cultures and he has a high degree of respect for other cultures. Um, you know, my, my parents at the moment, they are visiting us. And I just, I'm totally amazed. I mean, he hasn't seen them for seven years. And I'm totally amazed at how much he looks after them. And I don't have to tell him that. That's within his core value. He knows that he's got to look after them. So those are our three key values, which is people, be confident, and have respect for other people, other cultures and other communities. Brilliant values. Now, for those people who are listening who might not have heard of Connections Australia up until you joining us on the podcast today, give us a little overview of what Connections Australia does and how how people that are listening can get involved and help support it. So Connections Australia is uh, a mobile app that we are going to launch very shortly. So at the moment, we are taking expression of interest through our website called connectionsaustralia.com. The way you can support it is go to the website and register your interest. We are also about to start a campaign called I Support Migration. And I Support Migration is basically geared towards driving inclusive Australia, Um, making a call to action to all the business community to basically get behind that uh, campaign, get behind Connections Australia in offering jobs to migrants and refugees. So the way the mobile app works is it's basically a multilingual mobile app, which will be available completely free to 
anyone who wants to use it. It has three main offerings. One is called Life. And under Life, we provide you all the information you need uh, in any language to settle into Australia. So these would have things like how to get your TFN number, how to get a driving license, how to get a Medicare card, how to get a MyKey card, or Opal card, all those sort of things. All those things that you need to know to settle into Australia, that is under life. Then we have community. Under community, we connect you to your community. So we know that you have just landed in this country and you're probably looking for some familiar faces. So all you need to do is you click on community, you tell us what community you're looking for. So let's say Chinese, and it will tell you where all the Chinese people reside within Australia. It's like a heat map of Australia and you click on it And it not only just tells you in that particular suburb in Sydney or Brisbane or anywhere in Australia uh, where that community resides, it will also tell you what are all the upcoming festivals or events within that community so you can go and meet people and make friends as soon as possible. If you're not interested in cultural events, it will actually tell you social and sporting events as well, just in case you're ready right from get-go to adopt Australia home and therefore go and meet people of different backgrounds. The third service we offer is around careers. And careers is where we basically ask you some relevant information about yourself. You just give us a name and you tell us where you're living in terms of suburb. You tell us what your basic skills are. So your basic skills could be, you know, I'm a qualified, let's say, accountant, uh, but I'm also interested in, let's say, teaching tennis to little kids over the weekend. And we ask you about your availability and preference of time that you want to work. And based upon these key attributes, we directly match you to the employers. So as a migrant, all that conscious and conscious bias that you feel, we get rid of that because we are directly matching you to employers. And as an employer, it is absolutely wonderful because on your fingertips, you have all these wonderful people already matched to a job. So you don't need to sift through hundreds of CVs to find that right person. You don't need to explain to an agency or someone, oh, what am I looking for? And go through multiple rounds of interview and still not find the right person. You basically are matched based upon the job details that you put there. Imagine if you're a hub worker or hospitality um, employer and someone cancels at the last minute. You can see that this person is only 10 minutes away from you and you can fill that shift immediately. So as an employer, it is a wonderful platform for you to get a diverse workforce uh, and, and be inclusive. That's sensational. Congratulations. Help us put it in perspective too. How many people could this potentially assist? A lot. Holly, one of the things that we have kept in mind is scalability. And the reason we, when we were creating the tech stack, we kept scalability in mind is because when we opened for expression of interest, we opened about three months ago, we've got close to 5,000 registered migrants and quite a few employers as well. But it is heavy on migrants, not as much on employers. So if in three months, you know, I'm looking at data point of 5,000, I just know it's going to scale up and scale up very quickly. So in terms of how many people can use it, anyone, anyone in Australia who's either looking at settling down, anyone in Australia who's either looking for a job, any employer in Australia who wants to uh, hire a diverse workforce, you can all use it. Brilliant. Rinku, I'm so grateful for your time. And I think all of us will be watching with bated breath to see how Connections Australia grows. And certainly I'll be signing up to get involved and and to, to follow in whatever way I can support 
what I wanted to ask you to, to close, and it's a question we love to ask all of our guests, and, and you've already touched on a little bit, is this call to action. If you could get everyone listening to the podcast right now to, to do something immediately at the conclusion of our conversation, what would you love to encourage them to go and do? I would love for them to go onto my website called connectionsaustralia.com and register your interest. You can either register your interest as a worker looking for a job or you can register your interest as an employer who is ready, willing um, to hire uh, people of different backgrounds. Or I imagine as well share the website on their social media to, to help try and get the word out a little more broadly too. Fabulous. Yeah, absolutely. Sensational. Well, Rinky, thank you so much for your time and thank you for the work that you're doing to support, you know, newly arrived migrants in Australia, not only settle brilliantly and, and become part of the fabric of our community so quickly, but also really connecting them into employment and empowering them financially. I think it's sensational and it's been a real privilege to have the opportunity to talk to you. Pleasure is mine, Holly. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired and have some practical ideas for how you can go and fuel the difference you want to see in your life, organisation or community. If that's a yes, please take a moment to send us feedback, shoot me a tweet at Holly Ransom, leave a review for this coffee pod or head to www.coffeepodswithholly.com and send in your questions and suggestions for future coffee pods. But for now, until our next coffee break, I've been Holly Ransom. Thanks for fueling your difference with me. Thank <laughs> you.